Uh, just mark that on your check, or uh, you can bring it by, give it to Amy, you can slip it in that box out there, however you want to do that, that's up to you, you can do it online, they'll give you a memo slot, um, but, but there's an opportunity for you to, to do that. All that aside, um, one of the guilty pleasures, or I guess it's not guilty, it could even be uh, one of the simple pleasures that a lot of us share, myself included, is we watch those home improvement shows. You ever watch those? Not the, not the Tim Allen home improvement shows, but the new ones. They have whole networks, HGTV and uh, DIY Network, and, and you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and, and you watch the home, the House Hunters, that's one of them that they watch, where, where they follow this couple, usually it's a couple of Yankees that... that uh, are, are sometimes kind of whiny and annoying, but they're still looking for a house, you know, and you watch them, you follow them along through that. And then, uh, and then there's the fixer-upper shows, you know, where you watch, uh, you watch Chip tear down walls and, and, and you, you imaginarily spend money in your head of, with Joanna as she decorates somebody's house. And, and uh, one of my personal favorites used to be the show called Renovation Realities. I don't know if this is even still on. But Renovation Realities is where they would, they would follow this couple who had a project that they wanted to do, right? They wanted to renovate their home or improve their home or something. And they were going to do it themselves because they looked at it and they said, oh, we can do that. And, and, and so they followed them because most of us, if well, I don't know, some of y'all are more talented than I am. My home improvement projects usually uh, end up like this. Where, where it, it involves a lot of destruction and a lot of tears and about 17 trips to Home Depot. And then finally I call a contractor to come fix the original problem plus the mess that I've made. That's, that's what usually happened on these shows. And, and it's pretty fun to watch. You can, you can watch these people uh, mess things up and I, like I would. But at any rate, w one of the reasons that, that, one of the things you've got to do when you do any kind of building, whether it's building a new home or, 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 or improving a home or something, you bring in a, an inspector. You bring in somebody to come in and check it out and make sure everything's done correctly. You know what I'm talking about. You bring in a home inspector, uh, whether it's at the beginning or at, uh, later on, you, you're buying a house. You usually have an inspection. And, and these are people who are well-versed in the building codes and in all those things that need to happen. They go through and uh, they, they check off all those things. And, and, you know, I was talking to Mike Remke a lot about this because he knows a lot more about this than I do. And uh, he, he was giving me, you know, he said there's, there's all the, they usually go through and they have a, a check list, but they, they, they know what they're looking for. They know what they're supposed to be looking for. And, and you have the guys who, who uh, come through and they're, they're very black and white and everything has to be either this way or that way. Or, or you have a different kind who will come through and, and they're more big picture kind of folks, right? And, and they're looking at the whole house rather than just the individual uh, checks and balances. And you bring in that inspector because you want to make sure that you're not creating some kind of major disaster. You bring in somebody to, to look at all this stuff and, and, and to, to figure out what's going to, to tell you what's good, what's not, because to, to, these guys know what they're talking about. And, and you usually just bring in one. You don't bring in a whole bunch because the only thing that two inspectors can agree on is that a third one doesn't know what he's talking about. But you, you bring them in and, and you let them go through and they check out everything. As we're, as we're going through our series this morning, we're, we're talking about home improvement and not about our physical home that we live in, but more about our house, our household, and, and, and how that 
is uh, how we are building our houses. And so that's what this series is about. This morning, we want to talk about bringing in an inspector. Bringing in somebody to inspect our homes and our houses and, and see if they are built the way they need to be built. Um, and and uh, we want to look at a home inspection in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 2. And, and as you're turning there, if you read through the Gospel of John, there are two major things that you'll notice. The, the first is Jesus is God. That's, that's the whole point of chapter 1. The whole point of chapter 1 is that Jesus is God made flesh. The Word made, is made flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory. John's telling us that that glory that left Israel in Ezekiel's time, that's been gone for some 400 years, has now returned in the person of Jesus. And we've seen that glory manifest. The glory of God that has been gone from the earth has now returned and is living in the form of Jesus. That's, that's the first thing you've got to get. The second thing is as we move into chapter 2, we see the miracle at Cana. And, and if you don't remember that, that's, that's uh, Jesus turns the water into wine. The point of that miracle is that things are changing. Because that water was not just some random rainwater or jugs of water. That water was the ritual, spiritual water that was used to wash their hands ceremonially. And, and it was a ritual. It was something that had to be checked off. And Jesus is changing that. We're moving from a relationship that's based on rules and regulations and ritual into a relationship that's more of a celebration. Hence, the wine. Jesus is moving us from ritual to relationship. And, and so if you remember those two things, as we get into the end of chapter 2, we, we come to our text today. And, and the holy bath water is gone, and now there's wine. Jesus is moving us from ritual to relationship. And so we jump into John's text in chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now let's stop right there. You'll hear a lot of sermons on this passage. You'll hear sermons about impropriety in worship. I've heard sermons about uh, fundraising. I've heard sermons about selling things in the church building. Um, you'll hear all kinds of sermons about this passage. You'll also hear sermons that tell you that, that these guys were swindlers and cheats and, and all this stuff. That's not found in John's text. If you look at John's text apart from the others, and you don't know anything else about this, John's text doesn't say anything about swindling or cheating. It just says Jesus comes in and he runs all these people out. Now, remember, this is not Jesus' first trip to the temple. He's been there before. We know of at least one occasion when he came as a boy, and you remember that story. But Jesus has been here before. It's probably that he came much more often than that because a religious family, a righteous family of Jews would have made that trip up to Jerusalem every year at the minimum for Passover, if not more for other feasts. And so Jesus has been to the temple before. This is not a surprise. This is not something that he didn't know was happening. He's seen this for a long time. He's seen it all before. He's seen the house of God turned into a place that worshipped money. He's seen the house of God turned into a place that was all about rules and regulations. He's seen the house of God turned into a place that worshipped things other than God. This morning, 
we're going to invite Jesus in to be our home inspector. We're going to invite Jesus in and, and ask through the Holy Spirit for Him to examine our homes, for ex to examine our houses, and make sure that, that we are making them into our Father's house. Now, if, if you're willing to do that, there's going to be notes on the outside on the hub that you can take home with you, that you can remember some of this stuff and, and talk about it, pray about it as a, as a couple, as a family, if you really want to pursue that. But don't do that unless you mean it, because this is not something to play with. When you are approaching an entity that can create the Pacific Ocean with a word, that's not something you play with. Okay, So if you're serious about this, I say go for it, because he's going to answer that prayer. And this morning, we're going to look at three questions. As we invite Jesus into our home, we're going to look at what will he find when he inspects my home. The second question we're going to look at is, what will he drive out of my home? And the third, what authority does he have to do this? Let's look at the first one. What will he find? Verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Jesus enters the temple that day knowing full well what was going on. He knew the temple had, had become a place of trade, at least in the outer courts, of, of rules and regulations, of, of legalism and, and fear. And he found the evidence of that here. If he comes into our homes today, what's he going to find? Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, our house cleaning was a relative matter. What I mean by that is we, it was different based on which relatives were coming over. You know? You know what I'm talking about. You got some that are coming over and all their family, they're not, we don't have to worry about them. They know where we live. They know we're not worried about what they're going to say. And then we got others that you know they're coming. They're going to gossip and they're going to tell everybody and, and they're going to judge us. And so we got to clean extra special. Right? You know what I'm talking about. It's a relative concept. And, and some of us think about your own home, not the physical place that you live, but your household, and ask yourself this question. If I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would I need to clean up? What would I need to change? Now, it's not just, honey, Jesus is coming, you better clean out the fridge. It's also, maybe I need to delete some posts. Maybe I need to clear out my browser history. Maybe I need to, I don't know. But if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you change? No matter who we are, we all know that there are things in our house that we wouldn't want him to find. Which brings us to the next question. What would he drive out? Verse 15, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So Jesus comes in. He drives them all out. He goes on a rampage. All right? Now, this is not the sweet, meek, mild Sunday school Jesus that, that everybody wants you to believe in. All right? This is not sweet, kind, buddy Jesus that just says everybody's all right and I just love you all. This is a scary dude. You know that there's temple guards, right? They're armed guards who were supposed to keep things like this from happening. You know that these guys who were selling things, they're not a bunch of wimps. And, and so Jesus is a pretty formidable force that comes in and does this, and everybody runs from him. Nobody stops him. 
That's, that's pretty impressive because Jesus has something going on that, that they recoil from that is scary because they're putting things in a place that should only be reserved for God. Now again, if Jesus were coming into my house, what would he drive out? Because when I make my father's house a house of anything, Besides him, we're in a place of rebellion. We're in a place of idolatry. We're in a place of sin. And there are a lot of people who hear that and they'll leave this morning and go, man, Jeff really told them those folks need to get their lives together. Well, I think we've got to look inside a little bit because it doesn't necessarily have to be some deep, dark, hidden sin. These money changers were not doing anything wrong per se. What they were doing was all legal. What they were doing was all okay by the conditions in the culture of the day. They were providing a needed service to facilitate worship within the temple. They, they were selling sacrifices, which provided people a means of worshiping God. They were, they were changing the people's money so that they could buy the things that they needed to come into uh, their religious experience. They were abiding by the rules of law and the religious culture of the day. And so at least on the surface, there was nothing wrong with what they were doing. But Jesus drives them out because they're making God's house a house of trade. He's going to do the same thing when he expects us. When, when, whether we like it or not, when we are putting anything in a place that should be reserved for God, if we're inviting Jesus to come into our house and inspect it, he's going to drive that out. For some of us, it may be busyness, right? You know what busyness when we feel like we've got so many things going on, we can't do anything. This may not sound like a huge deal, but, but one of the greatest threats to the family today is our busyness. Because we got so many things going on that our family's the last thing we're worried about. That we're so busy with all of our family activities or our family things or, or, our, or our career or, or our stuff that, that we don't have time to work on our own house. We have so many irons in the fire. And, and, you know, the church is just as guilty of this as our houses are. Our, our, our church house is just as guilty as our personal house. A lot of times we've raised people up to believe that righteousness, religiousness, spirituality has to do with how many things you're involved in. And that's not always the case. We, we've taught people that, that spirituality or righteousness had to do with attendance. If we've learned nothing else from 2020, I hope we've learned that attendance at the building is not the church. Now, we get so busy, though, that we think we're doing good stuff. When in reality, God says, be still. Commune with me. Listen to me. We make our house a house of busyness. Jesus is going to drive that out. What about worldliness? You know what that is? Worldliness, where we're, we're so caught up in our world, then the world around us in our culture, that we forget the kingdom of God. When we're placing something else on a throne that's reserved for God, and I, I'm going to be real honest, we've seen that a lot this week, right? If you don't believe me, turn on the TV, look on your social media feed. There are a lot of people who are freaking out. They're either celebrating or crying because of our 
election day that's been going on for six days. And, and the problem with that is, is that we're too worried. We're more worried about who sits, on the, who sits in the White House than who sits on the throne. And, and worldliness is something that gets in there and, and, and it causes us to do things that are very ungodly. It causes us to say things to people, to treat our neighbor in a way that is very unchristlike. And that's worldliness. And if we're looking for our Savior in Washington, D.C., we're putting something on a throne that doesn't belong there. That's God's throne. Jesus is going to drive that out. Or maybe it's just selfishness. Because we, we live in a culture that's taught that my needs are what's important. I need to be happy. I need to get what, I need to take care of me. And, and we're, we're supposed to be fulfilling our own needs. We're, we're, but, but that's not Christianity. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. Our culture convinces us that we need to be happy. And that anything who comes in, comes in the way of our happiness is, is something that we should get rid of. But Jesus says your happiness is not found in yourself. Your happiness is found in dying to yourself and living a different kind of life. That attitude of selfishness is another thing that Jesus will drive out. See, if we've made our house, the house intended to be Father's house into a house of busyness, worldliness, selfishness, politics, religion, sports, recreation, money, whatever it is. We can keep going all day. Jesus is going to drive anything out that's sitting on a throne that belongs to God. And the final question is the question that we have to answer for ourselves. And that question is, what authority does he have? Verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple in three days, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Jews come to him and they say, who do you think you are? What gives you the authority to come in here and drive people out? And, and ultimately, that's a question that we have to ask. What authority does Jesus have in my life? Is Jesus somebody that I come and, and visit on the weekends? Is Jesus somebody that I, I consult every once in a while when I'm desperately in need? Or is he the authority? Because Jesus says, you want to you know, you know what my answer is? My resurrection. That's my sign. You want a sign? The sign is that I am. I am the temple of God. I am the presence of God. I am the glory of God manifest on this earth. I am. And you want to know what authority I have? I'm going to show you. It's going to be my, my resurrection that's going to show you that I am. If we accept that authority, then we have to admit that, that Jesus is truly, I am. Jesus is truly the presence of God in my life, the ultimate authority. And, and if I do that, then I accept him to come in and to drive out the things that need to be driven out. This morning, it's time for us to look seriously at our own houses. It's time for us to, to ask ourselves hard questions. Are we making them our father's house or are we making them a house of something else? Are we building houses based on possessions or, or wealth or affluence or prestige or tradition or doctrine or, or whatever? 
we got to step back and allow Jesus to inspect our houses. To find those things that are occupying a place reserved for God. And then we have to repent. Because the choice is simple. We can choose to allow these things to be driven out, or we can allow Jesus to drive them out eventually, whether we like it or not. I don't want to be a money changer. I don't want to be somebody whose table needs turning over. The Bible says that each one of us, each individual, is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Jesus proclaims His deity. Jesus is affirming the newness of His kingdom by this action. We have to learn to emerge from the status quo, from the culture of our day. And to ask Jesus specifically, come into my home, come into my house, inspect me. Let me know, what do you find? What are you going to drive out? Because ultimately I'm giving you the authority over my life. We have to turn over some tables. And we have to allow him in as the ultimate authority. This morning we're going to sing a song and, and this is an opportunity for us to, to publicly accept that. If you've not put Jesus on in baptism, this is an opportunity for you to, 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 to believe, to confess that belief publicly, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's an opportunity for you to repent. Repent doesn't mean that you get up here and tell everybody everything you've ever done. It means you turn and go in a different direction. And from this day on, you go in a different way. And you repent, you confess, and you're baptized. That's when you're symbolically buried with Him in water. You're raised to a newness of life. The, Holy, the, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to come to live in you. Your body's going to be a new creature. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to give life to your mortal body. And, and that is the ultimate home inspection. This morning, whatever